Hey, hello, what's up? I am Sage with ContemporaryQueer.com, and in this, the first episode of Going In, we are going in with Devin Springer, an activist, educator, artist, an amazing person all around with more titles than a Game of Thrones monarch, all of which are hard-fought and well-deserved. We talk queerness, blackness, diaspora, hegemony, and so much more from Twitter to Zodiac to reading and shade as, get this, forms of love in community solidarity. I think we literally talk about everything under the sun and the moon and the stars, and it's glorious. So come go in with us. Here we are. We're going in. Well, I mean, my name is Devin Springer. I, uh, I've been a lot of places, and I'm from certain places, but I'm basically, I'm an Atlanta native. Um... I guess I'm a poet, journalist, photographer, and at times organizer slash activist. Um, I'm a black, queer, Muslim man. Um, And oftentimes the line between poetry, activism, and photographer are blurred. They're either the same thing or there's no distinguishment between them at all. So I guess that's kind of me in a nutshell. Alright, that's fair. And, um, let's see, actually, speaking of your photography, I really think that's stunning. Um, like, what fuels your art? Mm. What fuels everything I do, like art, writing, photography. Um, in an essay, Audre Lorde says, and I'm not going to, I probably am going to butcher the quote, but basically says, um, the personal is political, Right, so especially with my photography and my self-portraits, and when I photograph other people, I'm interested in how I can turn the personal aspects of me and my life, or personal aspects of others' lives, into a political statement. Right, so how can I turn my race, my religion, my depression, right, turn these things into a political statement? How can I turn the personal political? All right, that's fair, and it's interesting that you uh, say it like that. Like, how can you actively turn the personal political? Um, what are some ways that you like do that? Like, mm-hmm. what? How? Do you do that, I guess, <laughs> like step by step. I mean, I think <laughs> that's a big question. Right. I think me, like everybody else, I do it in my own capacity that I can. Hmm. Right. So God gave me the talent. I like to think hope of photography. Um, so I, that's one of the main and direct ways. The other way is through poetry, right? There's something about a black poet that no one else really has or does, and it's like you're taking black rage and trauma of yourself, but you're really painting a picture of a community. Right. And I think that that's one of the ways that you can take the personal political is to not only see patterns in your own life, but in the community life, mm-hmm. and use your own talents to kind of portray that to the world. And it definitely comes through in my activism, protesting and speeching, speeches that I give and um, organizing in Atlanta, right? We, we make sure that our identities are present when we're fighting the different systems we're fighting. Right. Okay. I like that. Um, all right. And so I guess the next um, logical follow-up is what got you interested in working, uh, you know, in like social and cultural field, like with regard specifically to black folks? With regards to like, like yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I guess I'll say um, I'll start off specifically with black folks, and then like maybe broaden it out. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I, I, I've cared about black folks all my life because right. half my family is black, right? Yeah, um, Afro Latino family, and so what got me started working and caring politically activism-wise with black folks, black community, black people, 
is just seeing what my own family went through, right? Experiences walking with my dad, who's a black man, and the grocery store in rural Georgia, mm-hmm. in the country, as yeah. we say here in Georgia, oh, yeah. the country. <laughs> the country. Um, seeing how people would stare at him, the comments that police officers would make to him, um, seeing police brutality firsthand with my uncles and cousins and stuff, you know what I mean? Um, it was like an experiential learning process I went through, and then by the time I was in around 10th or 11th grade, I had transferred to this school, I won't say their name, but it was a, uh, it was an, I was the only person of color, not just black, I mean of color, period, from 6th through 12th grade. This was a private Southern Baptist Christian school. Okay, so I won't even, I won't even ask the city, because I feel like that would be like, uh, especially, Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I won't ask the city. I'm not doing that, (laughs) right, no, they, they got tabs on me. (laughs) Um, but. All of my experiences with racism interpersonally mm-hmm. then became heightened, I see. right? Because then the microaggressions became macroaggressions and became uh, unavoidable in almost every circumstance. Yeah. And it's not even when I was in that setting that I realized it. It's like on graduation day when I'm looking into a crowd and the only people of color are the ones who came with my family. Whoa. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then... It's like this decolonizing process where I'm realizing what people would say to me and do to me, how wrong it was with the more yeah. political education I got. Mm-hmm. So I definitely started caring about black people at a young age when I saw what my own family went through. Right. Um, well, an ambulance is going okay. by. <laughs> um, See, this is one of those things. Right. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Do um, we keep it in? Do we take oh, it out? That was nice. It took out the sirens for us. That is so cute. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, Fire truck? Firemen. Okay, firemen. <laughs> um, but I definitely started caring about black folks and working, just knowing something was wrong at a young age, right? right. Something was, there's some kind of indifference in the world. And then I think around the end of high school is when I was like, shit, I gotta do something about this. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I see. All right, that's cool. I like that. Um, I really do like that. Um, and, okay, so you said, like, literally just now that at the end of high school, uh, that's when you, like, started to be like, all right got to take some action got to do it with that said um well i'll tell a, i'll tell a funny story to give you an example all right cool so i told you in 10th grade i came to the school i was the only person of color the whole entire school um what i think happened this isn't confirmed but i think they have like diversity quotas they had to hit and all that shit yeah and uh so then we had like two other black people who came mm-hmm. maya and andrew who i'm still really good friends with this day what we ended up doing they came the end of my 11th grade year i believe and what we ended up doing was um we created what we called the underground railroad (laughs) and we (laughs) so there was like this old um old like equipment closet that was like halfway turned into a study hall room but was still basically an equipment closet that we would then go and meet in and we would like sneak out of class and go or we would all at the same time ask to go to the bathroom and we would just really sit in the underground railroad and start talking about like race on our oh, in our high school wow. that is <laughs> you know cool. what i mean we'd be like did you hear what this professor or this <laughs> this teacher said or like oh my god did you hear what he said to this person and like you know wow. so at a young age i was like <laughs> i need my underground railroad <laughs> that is cool oh yeah. my god like and and for that to be happening in rural georgia like, <laughs> that is nothing short of amazing yeah like, just west of the city of atlanta lived the underground <laughs> railroad see, okay you are pinpointing it so much because I, I <laughs> like, you're like rural georgia i'm not gonna say in the country 
uh, west of Atlanta. Like, like I swear to God, like I'm not, not quite the country. Right outside the city, right before the country, in the in between. See, suburban. See, I'm gonna figure out exactly where it is by the end of this interview. I'm back. Nah, we'll see. I, I won't try. I won't try. That's though. funny. Um, but all right, so that's cool. Like now, um, you've been, uh, and actually, this is how I found you uh, on Twitter in Brazil, and I was like, I can't wait to get to Atlanta. I wanna, I wanna do, I wanna do these things in Brazil. You know what's funny? Uh. I could be wrong, but like a year ago, mm-hmm. I think you tweeted me, um, right? Maybe. And this is going to sound weird, but the only reason I remember is because um, a lot of people like DM me, to private message me, right. and they'll ask me to send them like literature or educational materials and stuff, right. which I mean, it's kind of exploitative and I have my problems with it, but at the end of the day, I normally send some, something back of right. that. <laughs> um, but you didn't do that, but I think you tweeted at me at one point. Something to do with, like, queer identity. Or I said something about Brazil. Now I can't remember. Huh. But I do remember... That sounds like something I But I'm, like, eat. vaguely remember that. And I, I normally have a good memory of when I follow people. Because I get more hate than love on Twitter. So, like, <laughs> if I follow someone, it's normally, like, I remember it. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Because, like, I, I've never actually seen... Um, and, and this is me, like, I guess, being oblivious. Um, I've never seen any... Yeah. I've never seen anyone... Um, or I guess I've never seen like people say bad things about you that I've noticed. <laughs> like and I and and like I said, this could be like because I'm yeah. oblivious, or maybe like you don't engage with it like a lot of other people do. Um, yeah. Because when I see hate on other people's timelines, it's because they're broadcasting. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. They're yeah, like, yeah. look at me, I'm being <laughs> hated on. I'm like, I definitely. So I I believe I, you. No, <laughs> I totally believe you. I'm not saying I'm not yeah. saying I don't. <laughs> One, I stopped broadcasting it first off, right? Okay, um, I stopped yeah. like retweeting it and getting into it, and then two, I just stopped acknowledging it. I see. And once I stopped acknowledging it, le- it still happens a lot, but it just yeah. less of it happens now. I literally was like, why am I giving these racists, my these these Republicans, all X Y Z, my time of day? Right. And um, I talked with another someone else on Twitter who's really great, and he was just like, man, like. You know, you go to bat, you combat with these trolls and like these races all the time. Just yeah. stop. It's not good for your mental health. And I was like, wow, yeah. <laughs> this is so true. Yeah. And now I just like, like my lane, mm-hmm. I'm in that shit. Right. And I so stay in that shit. <laughs> I, like that. I love that. <laughs> like, this is me. The best advice I can give to anybody is find your lane and stay in that shit till the day you die. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm still looking for my lane. I feel like I'm not even on the road sometimes. I'm like, but that's my lane? And that's fine because <laughs> that's fine. Like, when you're on the highway, you have to switch lanes. You got to get off and exit sometimes and check it out. Sometimes you don't like it. Sometimes you do like it and you buy a house there, right? <laughs> you find a family you love. You know what? That's actually that's actually um, something I tweeted the other day. It was like, um, I, I switched my zip code. I am no longer. And I call it, and like, um, and I mean this from the from the perspective of someone who is uh, quote-unquote SJW, um, you know, whether you take it or not, whatever. But I'm like, listen, I'm out of of SJW Heights. I am now (laughs) in I said what I said. Like, that's where I'm at. Like, that's my new zip code. Forward your mail accordingly. Uh, I'm still talking about the same stuff, but I'm not doing, uh, you know. Yeah. No, I, 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 for (laughs) my Twitter bio for a long time was, I said what I said. He puedo decirlo en español si quieres. Like I said yes. what I said, and I can say it in Spanish if you want. Yes. 
right? Like, that. you know, and I've had that motto for weeks and months now. I and love that. Mwah, that it's beautiful. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail the interview. <laughs> no, but. that's perfect. That's completely fine. Um, but yeah, I wanted to say, because um, all of this came about because, like, literally my thing was that um, I saw you at rallies and I thought it was really cool because, um, in you know, despite the fact that it was queer women who came up with, like, Black Lives Matter and, you know, really made it into what it is Mm -hmm. um i had predominantly seen especially just being in brazil seeing it on the news seeing it on timeline Mm -hmm. i'd honestly just seen a lot of black men um secondarily black women and it was like they were overtly heterosexual Mm -hmm. Uh, they were overtly cisgender they were overtly like uh like the men were like oh we need to take care of the black women and black yeah, women were like yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah. need to you know and it was just like there was no intersectionality yeah so yeah. you were <laughs> I want to say that you were like my avenue into seeing like okay the different side of there is a different side oh, I appreciate that Thank yeah because I was like, 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 like that's like damn <laughs> 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 hope I did well like, you did yeah I mean you did I, I followed you this long <laughs> <laughs> okay good beautiful um yeah I think so I mean, okay, I'm going to back up on that first part. Okay. Um, Patrice Opal and Brittany, right? The three black women, queer, two of them are queer black women. Um, now, I want to make sure we're clear. I don't have anything against them. I love them. But they didn't start a movement that people of Ferguson did, right? Okay. First and foremost. Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. I went to Ferguson for a very brief time. I, you know, I can't claim Ferguson, but I went right. there for a brief time. And mm-hmm. I had grounding sessions with these people. And, yeah. It was grounded with them and their struggle, right? So they really started a movement for Mike Brown. So I definitely want to make sure we're clear about that. Um, And then, you know, Patrice and the, the the three women... They then played their role, right? Okay. You know what I mean? I can, yeah. And I can, um, yeah. so I just want to be clear on that that I love them and I, you know, I, I haven't met them before, but from what I've seen, they're great people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, and I think that part of the interesting thing about this denial of intersectionality among some strands of people who are claiming the Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. is that the three women, two of them who are queer, are, are the ones who who pioneered this movement and 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 they they took what was something on the ground and they helped it like, helped like it through amplified? birth yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. they helped they helped give birth yeah um so they they i think that one it's very historical right and i don't want to turn into a professor right. in, in hey, this moment I mean, but at, that's the, your lane. <laughs> at the end of the day there's this is actually a very historical thing where there's there's a more toxic masculinity presenting black nationalism yeah. right and that's not a hit on black nationalism that's saying that there is a strand of it that's very predominant right. um that's also always has this air of toxic masculinity with it mm-hmm. and then on the flip side you have a womanist black feminist and intersectional movement that is combative towards that that challenges and pushes that and questions that beyond what it could be mm-hmm. Um, and that really sees the trauma that happens to black women, black queer people, the black trans community, right? Right. So that history has been here since, like, the boys. Yes. <laughs> and James Baldwin yes. were calling this out. And Audre Lorde and these activists who were leading rallies and their writings. Um, you know, there's the whole, like, Booker T, the boys, you right. know. You know. So, so, in a sense, it's like, this isn't really anything new. The difference is... People are, like, noticing it way more now than ever. Right. And navigating that is interesting. So, you know, um, the fact that... The fact that when you were in Brazil and you saw people on the TV and you always saw these 
um, straight presenting cishet black men right. is not surprising, right? Toxic masculinity is hegemonic in America. Yes, absolutely. Right? Like, hegemonic meaning dominant, meaning inescapable. Um, and the media, the news, CNN, they know this and they pick up on that and that's what they show. So, it's not surprising when you look at it in a historical lens and you realize this has always been going on, right? right? It's not really surprising at all. Um, even right now, someone I follow on Twitter, and she's one of the literally smartest people I know. I love her to death. She's a good friend of mine, Zoe. I don't know if you follow her. Um, I don't want to pronounce her last name wrong. So right, when she right. hears this, she's going to kill me. <laughs> it starts with an S, but anyway, Zoe. Um, you know, she wrote a beautiful article the other day that was talking about how a lot of people in the diaspora and a lot of people with this kind of toxic nationalist perspective, they weaponize Pan-Africanism, right? Um, and I've talked before about how people weaponize intersectionality. So people take Pan-Africanism and then they, they can weaponize it for their own gains, their own capitalist gains, right? Their own diaspora gains. Um, and we see that happen a lot with, with intersectionality. A lot of people think that intersectionality is just a fancy word for diversity. Right. Yeah. Right. When in reality, it's a complete way of approaching your activism and your academic work right. and the world in general. And, you know, it's, it's class conscious, it's race conscious, it's gender conscious, sexuality, disability, religious conscious. So you definitely see a weaponization of the terms we can yeah. use to save ourselves if done right. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, that's, that's actually pretty... It's interesting you say that, um, because I, I guess that I've always seen it as a, um, you know, as a methodology as opposed to a quota, uh, mm, you know, like, because mm-hmm. people... I think I've seen a lot of people like, no, I'm an intersectional feminist, they would say, yeah, uh, as yeah. they would go on to proceed to stamp <laughs> on the necks of, you know, those right. who they can oppress <laughs> or gain. Right. It's like, no, but I have intersectional on my bio. No, yeah, but it's yeah. Like, um, I, I, you know, and one of the biggest, biggest things, right, like... Academic writing is not accessible to everybody, but there are resources out there that make it accessible for people. And I really recommend people finding the way that is accessible to them in whatever capacity to look into what Kimberly Crenshaw and Audre Lorde, Audre Lorde was like, and Claudia Jones were calling for intersectionality, specifically Claudia Jones and Audre Lorde, before the word was coined. And then when Kimberly Crenshaw Kimberly Crenshaw puts it into words, right? right? It's, it's fire. It's, yeah, it's you know, it's it, because it's graspable. I think mm-hmm. like people can more easily grasp it. They have a name to call it. They yeah, have a way to. It was made for. It was made first and foremost um, around the problems affecting Black women, right. right? And Black women could see themselves in the term and her descriptions of it. Um, she actually has. She actually has really eloquent, easy to follow. YouTube videos where she's describing in speeches and lectures intersectionality like perfectly and it's like a very good intersectionality 101 that I wish more people who <laughs> use know, that term would go and read. You know, I will definitely link that to this interview. Um, yeah. I, will, I will look for those. I can I will, send that your I way. Also, yeah, I would love to see that myself personally mm-hmm. um, because I know one thing that uh, like what we learned in college at least had been and I wish like this were a more widespread thing that you would learn how to take um, like it would be in science writing or social science writing mm-hmm. like you would learn to take it and make it accessible to an audience exactly. like you learn the audience mm-hmm. and you learn how to make it accessible to those people and yeah. I feel like um, that's really ignored oh yeah definitely uh, you know, like, I, I think you know your first question you asked me was um, when did I start to care about activism and black folks or something like yeah. that and 
one of the things, because I do a lot in the academic, publishing scholarly work and teaching, a, I teach a class now and that kind of stuff. One of the things I have always said is I do not give a damn about anything that's in an academic book if I cannot break it down and make it accessible to my people, to the people in the community who aren't on college campuses, right? Because it's a privilege for us to even be on a college campus yes. in the first place. So I think that a lot of academics forget that. And then that's when terms like intersectionality can be abused, is when it's not, when people aren't, because as activists, your job is to educate people, yeah, right? Absolutely. Go march, go have a revolution, do whatever you need to do, I'm down for it. But at the end of the day, you also, when you call yourself an organizer and activist, you have a, a job to educate people, first and right. foremost. See, that makes a, I like that. I like that you said that. Um, I guess, so would you say, like, education is... Would you describe that as, like, your lane? Like, something mm. that you're comfortable oh, uh, yeah. like being in that, like, I, being called an educator? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm definitely working towards being a full-time professor one of these days in the near decades. Speaking into the universe, inshallah, inshallah. Um, but no, I, I think I would be okay being called an educator. I love teaching and educating people mostly because i love learning right you know what i mean like i think people who genuinely love learning genuinely love teaching um you know so whatever form that comes in whether i'm making a thread on twitter or i'm in my classroom teaching or i'm writing a paper i, I do like i think education in itself when done correctly and with the right perspective is an act of activism i like it i like that a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah All right I told someone that I'd be doing this interview, and so, like, they came up with a few more questions. Mm, uh, who might I ask? So, uh, so I might know? Someone on Twitter, actually. I'll, um, I'll give you their at after. <laughs> after? What's yeah. their at? I'm curious um, now. You can tell me if you want. All right, yeah. Yeah, so I will definitely tell you that after. Um, just to save the anonymity of, of that person, like, on the thing. But shout out to you, if you're listening. You know who you are. <laughs> okay. Don't all be claiming it at once. I know how you <laughs> But, um, yo, that's, that's awesome, yo. <laughs> yeah, so they, I love people. Yeah. Wow. Well, people love you. Like, no, but I love people more. Oh, I'm so weird. I love you. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm Wait, sorry. are you an Aquarius? I am an Aquarius. Oh my god, okay, so that makes wow. sense. That makes sense. Because when you said I love people that way, I was like, hold on, that sounds like <laughs> I love humanity. Wow. Because I'm an Aquarius. Like, you know that's... what's funny is I know nothing about horoscopes, but I know, but I know when I run into a Sag. Mm-hmm. And I know when I run to an Aquarius. Okay, see that's funny because like my rising sign is Sag. Wow! I just found that out. Uh, okay, so people um, always tell me they can tell I'm an Aquarius, and I have no clue what that shit means. <laughs> but I always take it as a compliment because I can't really like escape it. Like, it is. It's it with is. me no matter how I like it. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna um, I'm gonna put you on to Mystic Lipstick on Twitter. Like Sweet. she is. She's so cool. Like her. Wow. She reads the hell out of people. Like that's, when it comes to their, their oh, signs, man. like she just gives you the tea. I need a good reading every now and then. I, I need to be read like yeah. I think <laughs> no seriously I'm not that. I have this theory mm-hmm. you know it's part of being like both gay or queer and black mm-hmm. is like we need to be read to filth every now and then and told about ourselves and only a queer black person can do that correctly you know right what? that is true I, know I like that so, I really love that actually I know it sounds weird I mean I have some friends every mm-hmm. few months will just read me the fucking filth and I'm just like you know what alhamdulillah like I really <laughs> dang like 
I like that. I really like because it's funny. Um, I the person who um who gave a few of these questions, like that's the person who read the shit out of me. Like about I want to say a week and a half ago, they were like, "Let me tell you about yourself." Yeah, and I was just here, like, it wasn't any, that's it wasn't funny. like any negativity. Yeah. It was like just yeah, scratch this dead skin yeah. off me, exfoliate me. Like. Every time I tell somebody that I feel personally that people need to be read, yeah, and it's like a healthy read. Oh yeah, uh, they always say you must be an Aquarius, oh. and I don't know what that means, but. I, I am. I didn't know that was a us people thing, but I'll take it. <laughs> I so, will yeah. take that. I, 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 I shade people from love, and oh. I read. I, throw, I read. I put on the glasses and go to the library oh. out of love and support oh. for my yes. <laughs> You know what? You just said education <laughs> was activism, so there you go. So I can teach people about themselves, right? Let me teach about yourself. I can teach people about themselves. <laughs> I love it. I'm here for it, 100. percent For those of y'all listening right now. We are in Little Five Points, Atlanta, sitting on a curbside on oh some God. steps. This just, I would just like to point out the setting of the... <laughs> like, it's, it's the perfect place. It really... You know, wow, this place has really changed since the last time I've been here. Um, it's a little bit more, I want to say... I feel a little bit weirdly... Oh, it's gentrification. That's what it is. Yeah, so... I just realized that. It's gentrification. Because yeah. we are sitting out here yeah, with an iPhone and it open. We can talk about later that later in the interview if you yes, want. Because gentrification in a, is one of the... All, oh, that car. All, all, almost, 99% of Atlanta activists mm-hmm. of all different mm-hmm. kinds and causes are looking at gentrification in Atlanta right now. There was a new report that came out a few years ago that was saying Atlanta is on the top five places studied for gentrification because it's happening so rapidly. It really is. So where we're sitting right now in Little Five Points, it went from being a black neighborhood right about 30 years ago Mm -hmm. to then becoming um, a red line neighborhood right which means it lost a lot of funding schools went out of there's a there's an abandoned school right behind us is that not right here but a block behind us that used to be an abandoned school that a radio show wrfg it's a Mm -hmm. great radio show shout out to them is now has as their office now right and then now so it went through it went from being like this black neighborhood Mm -hmm. to then being poor and destitute Poverty struck up, which means homelessness, which means nice. black and brown people affected first by the homelessness. Right. And then now it's becoming a hippie, hipster, gentrifier mm-hmm. area. There's like a cupcake shop and there's uh, like quote unquote boutiques. It's and always a cupcake shop. Like so that's the first sign. Definitely. But you know, the interesting thing is there's, there's about mm-hmm. four or five black businesses here in, in Little mm-hmm. Five Points that have either been here for a long time mm-hmm. or they're like starting to be able to say they've been here for a long time right. that are like holding it down holding the mm-hmm. fort down yeah there's, and there's like a there's an uh, there's an arabic uh, arab owned um hookah shop so i mean oh. it's like half of the street is all white gentrification and then half of yeah. it is people who are really trying to hold on to right <laughs> this piece of land yeah i see i see because like um i think i feel like i was here as a teenager mm-hmm. uh during the during the like the hip the hippie, I want to say alternative hippie scene. Started. Yeah, like, and that was 2005-ish. How old are you? I, I don't want to age myself anymore, because I feel it's like you're okay. younger than me. It's, I probably am, but it's okay. Oh, what do you mean? I probably am. Because I don't, I don't ever give my... So, I actually okay. have this whole spiel that I give, but I basically don't, in short, don't mm-hmm. like to give my age. Yes, I'm Just I'm there because, with you. I mean, I've accomplished 
a lot, but not as much as I want to accomplish. But whenever right. people find my age, they start invalidating what I've done. Right? I see. So I make okay, it a point in interviews to never give my age. All right, that's fair. Um, I would like to know your age. <laughs> All right, you know. You can uh, just give it to me in fingers. You can give it to all me. All right. Oh. Wait, did you, did you guys hear that? That's not that bad. It's not that bad. Not it's not that bad. You're four years older than me. Okay. Um, unfortunately for you, though, um, people know how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's fine. So you might have aged yourself. It's okay. Uh, but, um, but, yeah, so, like, so these questions, though, um, that some of the people uh, wanted to know, like... All right, so what specific changes, like, would you like to see made? Because when we say, when we say Black Lives Matter, when we have this rallying cry, mm-hmm. um, actually, you know what, before, before that one, before that one, um, and I felt like I wanted to ask this, but then I completely, like, lost it. Mm-hmm. What is it like for you to be, like, on the ground? Like, what is it like yeah, uh, yeah. on the ground at a rally? I mean, I think, um, and I actually have a poem that talks about this. Um, Ooh, snaps. That I might, I might share tonight after doing this interview. Now that I'm thinking about it, but uh, there's a lot of conflicting feelings I have about quote unquote being on the ground. Mm-hmm. The first thing that comes to mind, it it can feel like prayer, right? Protests mm-hmm. can feel like prayer. It can feel like a warm embrace. It can feel like your community behind you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, just because because of respectability and because of racism and mm-hmm. XYZ, we yeah. don't get to fully express the trauma that police brutality mm-hmm. that we feel from it just by witnessing it through videos and hearing right. about it and reading about it. We, don't, we rarely, aside from our own solitude, get to express mm-hmm. that. So when you're at a protest and you're crying or yeah. you're yelling and you're angry, mm-hmm. you're marching, you're trying to, you're shouting burn shit down. Like, mm-hmm. this is like prayer. Like, this is, this wow. is, this is a poem in itself, I right? I love that. Um, but then on the, and it, it's beautiful, but on the other half, the fact that you have to be out there or you feel like you have to be out there and that you're out there, it like hurts. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, a friend of mine went to, went to um, the Black Lives Matter convening that they had last mm-hmm. year. It was in Cleveland, I want to say, but, mm-hmm. you know, they had this beautiful experience and it was this beautiful black black joy that was exposed and organizing right. in a conference and then come outside and the police were giving them trouble there and she's chewing on rubber bullets and, and oh. tear gas and pepper spray at the convening mm. right or then I go up and see my comrades in Charlotte while they're dealing with all of their trauma and they're protesting and they're organizing right. and activism and I'm just like seeing cops in riot gear you're seeing yes. the National Guard out. There's there's a there's less than a hundred protesters, but there's over mm-hmm. three hundred cops in full on riot gear. Right. Right. And people are passing out free bandanas and goggles because mm-hmm. because they know they've been chewing on tear gas and they've been inhaling right. pepper spray like like a hookah, right? Oh. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So it, it's it's like a very conflicting feeling. On one side it feels like a prayer and a and a poem mm-hmm. and it's like a spoken word when you're out there. But more so, it's painful, you know? It's very painful. I see. And I, I think that 
when we take the streets, especially, you know, here in Atlanta, we like to take right. highways. Yes. I, I <laughs> when was, I was uh, in Charlotte, ooh. we were marching at one point, and mm-hmm. we marched over a bridge, over a highway, and someone mm-hmm. said, if we were in Atlanta, we'd take the highway. <laughs> and someone, like, I, I heard Atlanta become a verb, and someone said, yeah. maybe, maybe we should maybe we should Atlanta it. And they right. turned Atlanta into a verb as a metaphor for taking I the highway. I love that. And I don't know if that's, I like, a that. national thing or if this, this was that one person. But at the end of the day... You know what? Um... You know, that's like, it's like a few seconds. There's a few, few, few seconds where you can be black and you can be queer and you can be trans and you can be a woman and you can be disabled and you can, or differently abled, I'm sorry. And you can, you can be all of these things that the world tells you that is underrepresented and marginalized. Right. But then you take back your power. Right. That is beautiful. Right. You see what I'm saying? So like, you're like, this march and this protest and this shouting crying is my is my prayer, it's my poem, and I'm going to make sure you cannot go anywhere but to hear it right now in this moment. Ooh, yes. <laughs> you know what that. I mean? <laughs> and it's like, Ooh, and I, that is nice. not to glamorize that. That mm-hmm, is not right. to glamorize the fact that that's where we have to do that, mm-hmm. right? That is not to glamorize that because you hear these these quote-unquote activists all the time glamorizing protests and talking about the glamour. Protest is only as glamorous as the, as the pictures that come out of it. Right, protest is only as yes. glamorous as the pepper spray you're chewing on. Because I've been hit with pepper spray two times now. Oh. Wooden uh, rubber bullet shot at me. It's not. It's not fun. But at the end of the day, it, mm-hmm. don't glamorize it. But understand how that can really be a prayer that that I think Black America has needed this prayer for a long time. Okay. You know, like no offense, but Reverend Al Sharpton wasn't giving us that prayer. T.D. Jakes wasn't giving us that prayer. Creflo Dollar wasn't giving us that prayer. So then. We prayed for our damn selves and took it to the streets. Right, yes. Uh, there are, <laughs> I'm getting the vapors right over here. Me, like, me, as cold as it is. Because, like, right <laughs> yes, I, like, oh, God. Okay, so, like, two things. Like, Atlanta, Atlanta, like, I, cr- I cried. Um, mm-hmm. in Brazil, I felt so helpless. Mm. I felt so helpless being there, seeing what was going on. Yeah. And I'm over there, like, just choking, like, I why am I not there? What can I do? Like, you know, and it was, so, you know, it was that. Um, So to hear that Atlanta, like this city that I've come to love, um, I'm a transplant here and I had to learn to love it. Mm. And, you know, so that's unshakable. Like it's not, even those of us who live here have to learn to love it. Right. Fair enough. That's fair. I mean, and Um, I I think too, you know, part of being a Pan-Africanist and I call myself a Mm Pan-Africanist in the sense that in its origins and its in its original form, it really means well. You know, it, it's been weaponized nowadays. But yeah. part of that and part of being in the diaspora mm-hmm. is and being calling yourself a black radical is that you, at least I think, you should be dedicated to knowing what black people around the world are going through and what they're dealing with in yes. black internationalism. So I know you were, you might have been in Brazil, but that doesn't mean you mm-hmm. weren't here in Atlanta in spirit and symbolically, right. and even in Brazil. Oh, you yeah, know, there was like over 10,000 black women in Brazil who had a massive yes, protest earlier this yes, year. Yes, that was... And, and, you know, the Quilombo spirit is mm-hmm. so strong in certain areas of Brazil. Because that was something that, was something that like, um, about two, one, I want to say maybe a year and a half ago, uh, Black Lives Matter. It was like, yes, Black Lives Matter. Like, you'd hear it in the streets. Like, people were in asking Brazil. me... Yes, they were asking oh, me how great, to pronounce Black Lives Matter. But oh. then sometime this year, like, because they'd be like, oh, Black Lives Matter. Like, but then how do I say it? How do I say it? Say, yeah. Please tell me. How yeah. do I say it? And, you know, like, I'd help. Um, but mm. nowadays, like, they're, like, they feel kind of left behind, I want to say, by Black Lives Matter. And I had, I had some sharp criticism, um... 
for people who I guess um, they would they were kind of spearhead I want to say like they wanted to spearhead this big international for, this is for yeah. black people all over the world but you're not listening right. to those black people so like um, and, it, this, and is this, true. Is, this is this is the problem because yeah, like um, you know we have our statistics of people who die here and I'm not saying it's not horrible but I'm oh, saying that in Brazil, oh. like, in Brazil, it's, like, it's higher. Oh, um, and I'm not, like, not to do, like, comparison or anything. Mm-hmm. But, um, <clears throat> you know, it, people selectively use those statistics oh, yeah. to to kind of, um, you know, make their own case. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they don't care about, you know, like, um, any of the activism that gets done there. Oh, right. So long as they could just get those statistics and bump up. Like, you know, just so, kind of how a lot of yeah. white people do with um, with black queer stuff. Right. Um they just use us for statistics and mm-hmm. then like I mean I, and you know this goes back to again this weaponization of pan-Africanism and it's been mm-hmm. on my mind a lot the past few days so that's mm-hmm. maybe why I'm talking about it in the interview <laughs> but that's fair you know I'm here for it. <laughs> uh, so you know the art of code switching right you learned mm-hmm. that at a young age as a black oh, person yes. and uh, so I, I definitely was was in this very academic setting the other day mm-hmm. and uh, so you know you have to code switch into your theory and ideologies and xyz and um, someone was saying the point of Pan-Africanism should be for the rest of the world to say Black Lives Matter and help Black Americans. And I, I like, I, I was so unprepared for that <laughs> yeah. from someone with a PhD. Ooh. Right? I was, and then it hit me. I was like, this is that weaponization of Pan-Africanism. Right. Right? This is that use it for because at the end of the day, Black people in America are facing these problems. Right? And let's be clear, police brutality is not. It is one of the most pressing matters. It is not the most pressing matter. State violence is not just police brutality. State when I say state violence, I mean gentrification. Mm-hmm. I mean homelessness. I yes. mean I mean I mean hunger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean lack of funding and education, mm-hmm. the mass incarceration. Um, and all that plays into police brutality because police they police right, yeah, places in poverty that happen to be black and brown in America, right? right. Um but I think at the end of the day, right, in Jamaica, they have a police brutality problem. In Jamaica, they have a colonial problem where they're facing, uh, my people at home, they're facing basically neo-colonialism where the queen, and I call, I say the queen, it's right. like what we say, but <laughs> right. okay. where, you know, the UK is not officially, quote-unquote, right. owning Jamaica anymore, right. but they're still they're sending still their money, control. right? Yeah, I mean, Haiti... Haiti just finished paying reparations to France mm-hmm. for for overthrowing their colonial government, you right? Know, and I'm in not... the Congo, in the Congo, gendered violence is at an all time high right now. Gendered violence yes. in the Congo, black women in the Congo are like suffering, right? So mm-hmm. the fact that someone would say that it yeah. just like really, really threw me off. And this is not to compare oppressions. This is just right. to say understand oppression in contextual yes. form and historical form. Yeah. Right. So understand we're saying Black Lives Matter. Because internationally, black lives have been devalued. Right. Internationally. This is not an America-only problem, right? So we might be focusing on our problems here because it's affecting us directly. Yes. But we should never ask any other black person in the diaspora to stop fighting for their own selves and look right. at us. Right. Exactly that. And, you know, and I'm... And it's interesting that you said, like, you looked at this um, this PhD uh, professor and, you know, it was like, whoa, what? Because I feel like um, that's one of those things where it, it's, you kind of lose, I don't want to say, I don't know if you lost respect necessarily, um, but something like that sort of happened with me where it was like, oh, wow, you really can't necessarily trust somebody mm-hmm. because they're an authority. Um, and I, 
and it was like it was it was kind of a turning point for me right, um right. when you realize i guess you realize you become an adult you're like oh, hold on i have an expertise too <laughs> and uh, let me just tell you you're wrong and i'm not saying this as like a right. little teenage <laughs> rebel like hold on i'm a right. grown-ass motherfucking no, person yeah, <laughs> and what you need to learn is See, this, is, this goes back to you know I, I told you i don't say my age right, right. and i uh I even at one point I I stopped sharing peer-reviewed articles of mine that I get published or any work that I have published that's right. quote unquote academic. I just stopped sharing it on Twitter at the end of the day, right? right? Yeah. I just stopped because because there's this perception that we're just random angry kids out here in the streets, right? Mm-hmm. When I when I when I challenge that toxic masculinity in, in the black nationalist spaces or the people who weaponize pernafrenism, they're like, "What do you know? You're just a child." Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, if their lived experiences matter and that's what they're building their politics off of mm-hmm. why can we not do the same you see like what i'm that. saying why can we as black queer trans people of color women um differently abled people right why can we not indigenous native mm-hmm. people yeah. why can we not do the same why is it always like this difference right so i definitely uh, challenge that as much as possible like right i'm i love that i love that like challenge it wherever it shows its face um you know, and that's that's even something that happens in the politics. Like, <laughs> like I mean, of course, it happens yeah. in politics. Um, I, I faced it firsthand uh, actually in Pernambuco there, um, where there there are a lot of young people mm-hmm. who are like, you know, they're really like, hold on, um, <laughs> y'all been doing it this way for yeah. about a few hundred years, but let me tell you something. Right, we're here yeah, and yeah. we're about to shake it up. Like, <laughs> well, so. and this is not to say we don't respect our elders. Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. like, so we're in Atlanta right now, for example, right? Mm-hmm. The Atlanta student movements were fucking huge. MLK marched through here. We have MLK's house down. Yeah, so I, I used mean, to live in Ferdinand, you know? yeah, that's yeah. that's awesome, right? This <laughs> is the kind of history we're yes. local to. We have Lonnie King. Mm-hmm. Um, C.T. Vivian, who passed away recently, his yeah. wife, Al Josie, is amazing, you know. Um, so we, as activists, come to our elders' feet and we talk to them and we receive wisdom yes. from them all the time, mm-hmm. right? And I Absolutely. think this narrative that we're just out here angry, yeah, listen, enough. if what they did worked, we wouldn't be here right now. That is true. At that the end of the day. And, 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 they we, re- and they reckon, a lot of them, not all of them, but mm-hmm. a lot of them recognize that. Uh, like, we stand on the shoulders of giants. We learned exactly. from them. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like, um, and I feel like, like, maybe I can make the parallel, uh, like, uh, on an individual level, like, you know, take this big thing and make it, like, reduce it to <laughs> right, right, a big right. thing. Like, um, for example, my grandmother and I love each other to death. But we have very different views of the world, very different views of how things mm-hmm. should happen. Um, yeah. You know, and it's just like, and not to give like any weird specifics or anything like that, but is it, it, <clears throat> I want to say that, you know, you can still respect a person, disagree with them, mm-hmm. recognize your own autonomy and your own yeah. lane, do what you have to do, and then come back mm-hmm. as as an autonomous person and say right. to the one you respect, I listen to your view I respect it mm-hmm. I didn't uh, agree with it so I did it my way right. doesn't mean I don't love you and, and, and you move I, on. I think that the the differing factor right on when you in my for me in my life and the people who I allow in my life mm-hmm. uh, the differing factor right this, the line that gets crossed on when you say I respect your difference in opinion cool we can still mm-hmm. move on and be friends or family or whatever is mm-hmm. when it comes into a denial of humanity you see what I'm saying mm-hmm. so I no longer, and this is a recent view I've adopted in the past few months through experiences that have happened to me, I no longer see, like, homophobia 
as a differing opinion. I no oh, longer see yeah. racism as a differing mm-hmm. opinion. Sexism, transphobia, those are not differing opinions. Ableism and ageism, mm-hmm. those are not differing opinions. Those are denials of humanity, right? I like that And when you, when you get your mind, not just in your political life, but in your life, <laughs> life like in your lived experiences, when you look at the perspective of those isms, right, right. are actual denials of humanity, mm-hmm. I no longer found it acceptable to continue to just call them differing opinions. Right, I like that. You I know? really do like that. And it was like a really breaking moment for me when I was like, oh man, I wait, so, so these are if they're denying people's humanity, mm-hmm. I no longer have to respect them. <laughs> like, <laughs> I no longer have to, like, right. still be friends with these racist people that right, I thought yeah. that I, like, needed to be because oh, they're, like, yeah, kind of friends. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And, yeah. Um, really looking at that perspective changed my writing. It changed mm-hmm. my work, my activism, the way I teach my class. Like, it just really opened my eyes. It's right. sad that it took this long, but that's normally how things happen. I mean, no, you're completely right. Yeah, um... Definitely want to say, um, I don't even think I made that differentiation uh, necessarily in my example, so apologies if it sounded like no, that. No, 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 you're definitely, like, you're fine, me, no. My gra- no, granny ain't no racist. No, I'm, I'm sure your grandmother is not a racist. Like, I definitely was not implying that. No, I know. I know, I'm being foolish. She probably has a great history of stories. Oh, you should see. Actually, too. you should totally see her library, like, oh my god. I came back and she, like... Mm. I mean, not that she didn't always have, like, this extensive library of, like, black history and stuff, but it was just, like, it broadened when I came back. It was like, girl. The biggest love affairs I've had in my life that were not (laughs) partners or substances that I was abusing have been books. (laughs) And books are, like, a substance in themselves that I abuse. Oh, they really are. You know, like, (laughs) I really am frustrated at myself because I spent my whole life renting and borrowing books Mm -hmm. and never really owning books. And now... Here I am mm-hmm. in my 20s really wanting, wishing I had started keeping these books and built a right. library. Because my library now mm-hmm. only has like 50 to 100, maybe about 75 books. <laughs> and I'm like proud of that, but I'm at the same time like, damn. But it could have been more. It could have been more. But it's okay, so long as you still have the titles, so long as you still <laughs> have some of the of what those books were about, you can probably find them, mm-hmm. you can still get them. Do you know, uh, when, do you know when books come to mind? <laughs> when I'm arguing with someone, <laughs> and yes. I'm like, and I'm like, I know this person's wrong, and I know there's theory and ideology yes. and reasoning behind why they're wrong. Oh, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. It's because it's because in Left of Marks by Kara Boise Davis, <laughs> she said this X Y Z. Right? You know, okay. and, I or, can't, <laughs> I can't do that with book titles, but I can do that with arguments, and I can yeah. usually find the name of the person. Can't tell you what work it was, but it's like, hold on, like they're channeling. <laughs> Got it. Alhamdulillah, books are books are Um, books are books are awesome. They really are. I can have an IV pumping books into my (laughs) that's off the record. Um, I think not. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's funny. Um, um, (laughs) but all right. So uh, yeah, let's see. You know, and actually, um, this is something that I would like to ask. Um, These are a few questions, and you can decide how to. You know, how to interpret, how to uh, answer them in what order. Mm. So, yeah, because I'm going to barrage with, like, two okay. or three. Oh, shit. All right. All right. I just have customers. Okay, <laughs> oh. go ahead. <laughs> All right. Um, so, let's see. 
The first one is, how did your life change uh, regarding, you know, like maybe opportunities lost, doors opened and or closed because of activism, because of your points of view? Um, the next is, is it fair to call complacent black folks or queer folks uh, coons for <laughs> trying to navigate oh, uh, this system that indeed wants to kill them, but they kind of want to stay alive too? I kind of want to put they... on my Raven Simone voice and say, oh, snap right now. <laughs> oh, oh, Raven. Girl. Raven Baxter. Sorry. Raven Baxter, yes. All yes. Right. Let's let's keep <laughs> Um and I think the last one the role of celebrity mm-hmm. in the age of woke. Um yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Let them all sink in. I, I feel mean, like those honestly, are... I'll just hit each and every one of those like, you know, um dang. The first one is very personal, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Essentially asking how has activism affected my life. And I have a really good story I share. It's sad, good, but it's good in person because it's something that I really want to I wanna only tell in person. Mm-hmm. But I'll give like this snippet of it. Okay. When I very, very first touched my toes into activism, it was by driving somewhere where a mass call for a protest was happening. Mm-hmm. Despite despite the uh, people I lived with Hold on one second. Spike Please the fat don't is do still that. fine. Why are you I mean, mad? We're having an interview. We're in the middle Why of an interview. We're having an interview. That's very an rude. An interview about yes, what? This is, this is rude, man. Not today, Satan. Not today, Satan. It's right, bitch. I, I was talking to you. I was talking to you. Okay, thank you. Should we keep this in? Yes. Definitely keep it. I knew that was going to happen. I saw them walking Definitely over there, and I that. knew they were going to... So I just want to talk about... Being black in Atlanta, real quick. Um, this is a daily occurrence. This this intoxicated white woman just interjected herself in our interview and refused to leave. So I don't, <laughs> I don't even. What was, what was I? Like you were telling a snippet of a story. Yeah, we're definitely keeping yeah. that in there. We got to keep that. that. I, I wish like I got to, her name and her address. That happens way more often than I like to admit, y'all. Um, right. No, but I'm weird in the fact that if there's a certain memory or story or event that happens to me. Some of them I like to keep to myself, and some of them I like to only tell in person. Okay. I think that's something more people in our generation need to adopt. Keep certain things to yourself, certain things that make you happy or sad. But uh, there was an event that happened that I went to. It was a huge protest, and it was my first time really dipping my toes in something. And I was, I was told if I went, I would become homeless. And that when I got back to my house, my stuff would be out. And that we don't stand for that, quote-unquote, you know. Mm-hmm. And it happened. And I was. And uh, it was around the time that I started college, and then it transitioned into me living on some houses here and there, and I mean, and on some couches. So, you know, that, that's very real and very present. Um, I come from a household that is not all black, right? I got half black and then half other, is what I say, because I'm <laughs> a very mixed up family. But long story short, um, both my black family and non black family. A lot of them did not agree with it, right? A a lot of them, they didn't agree with my overt queerness that I began to grow into. They did not agree with... I always say that I came out more than once, right? I mean, people Mm -hmm. say you come out multiple times. Right. But, I mean, you know, I came out as queer. Then I came out as, like, pro-black, right? Like, I stepped into pro-blackness. Because in a world that teaches us colorblindness... I have been taught that I didn't have a color, right? And that's very dangerous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Colorblindness gets people killed, right? I wasn't prepared to navigate the world. 
Um, and then I came out as Muslim, which was like, you know, mm-hmm. I like a third layer that right. was like, yeah, I, it was like, it was like a calling from God that I can't even explain to this day, but two years later, here I am. So I, I think that activism has affected me in my life and the fact that I have learned through struggle and sadness and experience and a synthesis of those three things that you, you the only thing you can do in life in this society is pick and choose your battles, right? Mm-hmm. You have to pick which places of your life are going to be a front line that you have to battle. So are you going to yell and fight with your mom or your cousin, your right. dad, your brother, or are you not? Are you going to yell and fight in your workplace, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that in regards to the question, activism has affected my life because I now see most choices that I make as me picking and choosing a battle. And it's sad that it had to come to that, but that's... It's the only way that I really mm-hmm. navigate life right now and right. have for a while now, after many years. Right. And, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of kind of sad, but at the same time, there's definitely lots of lessons learned. And right. I feel like one day in the very, very distant future, I'll release some of my personal journals and you mm-hmm. know, give more insight into that. Right. Um, the other question... <laughs> Yeah, the other no. questions are good. I mean, they're like, they're best, they're definitely juicy, and I could <laughs> go a lot of ways. There's a there's a rapper. So on the question, do celebrities have an obligation, right, to talk mm-hmm. about social justice issues? Right. There's a rapper, Boca Floja. He's Mexico's biggest rapper. Mm-hmm. He's an Afro Latino rapper, and I just recently did an interview with him for Afropunk. Mm-hmm. And I asked him this question about conscious hip hop, and if right. if you know people if celebrities and rappers are obligated to... And uh, his answer influenced mine. And he said, uh, it's like they do and they don't, kind of. And I have conflicting feelings about this. At the end of the day, if you have a platform, period. Yes. Right? Especially if you're a celebrity and a lot of these musicians who have built their career are non-black and have built their career on black music. Mm-hmm. You have you have a role and a duty to use that position and that following mm-hmm. to share your views. Whatever right. those views are, I hope they're anti-racism. Yeah. I hope they're anti-sexism, yes. anti-misogynoir. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So now, how how they use to how they choose to use that following and use that platform is oftentimes disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just recently was told earlier today that Jay Z is going to be performing at a Hillary Clinton rally, even though she called black people super predators, <laughs> is a capitalist, and uh, <laughs> and you know supported the mass incarceration bill that puts um, people who use drugs in prison and in prison black and brown mm-hmm. people at three times the higher rate than before. Um, you know, just want to. So, yeah. so it's oftentimes disappointing, mm-hmm. but at the same time, their obligation is to is to promote how they feel and their views. Their right. obligation is not to promote my views or not to promote a movement; mm-hmm. is to promote their views. Right. And if we're doing a good job as a movement, what they promote and they believe in will reflect our movement. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. There the, it is. Uh, that's that. Roach, that's that roach we <laughs> yeah, we about. knew he was coming. Um. So you know, in talking, so I talk in talking to Boca Floja in that interview. He kind of illuminated that. You know what I mean? That like, as colonial bodies and colonial subjects, as he calls it, mm-hmm. right, the black body. Yeah. 
we have a, we have a mission, in my opinion, right, mm-hmm. to live our lives and be fucking happy. Yeah. And that's everybody does it in a different way. Mm. So it's understandable if you're using the system to navigate and make your own career out of it. It's All understandable, right. not justifiable, but understandable. Yeah. But <laughs> not <it's> justifiable, <laughs> but understandable. I but, like that. You know, and, but uh, it's definitely also understandable mm-hmm. if you're using your platforms more like you know salons just mm-hmm. see at the tables a, a brand new example oh. right you know i wasn't even i someone told me they told me to listen to Solange a long time ago and i just kind of didn't yeah. um in fact i only became aware of her when they called her like after the release of um ooh, what was beyonce's last one the self-titled mm. after self-titled oh, yeah, 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 yeah. and she went to coachella and oh. some new some uh, awful news outlet they called solange be beyonce's singing sister yeah. and that was my yeah. handle for a while because <laughs> i was so angry at that it was like hold on i'm not even a fan of her but i know her yeah. and so you know i like listened to a few songs out of uh, support mm-hmm. and uh, and That's then when right? a seat of the, a seat at the table came out i was like all right Right. Uh, let's, the thing let's is this. too, and you know I love me some Beyonce. I'm not oh, even gonna front and act like, like I don't love me some. She's who, problematic who as hell. <laughs> I can <laughs> I can pull a bell hooks and critique her, Girl. but I'm not a black woman. And I'm not gonna do that because I'm not stupid. And like I said, my lane, I stay in that shit. Right. But my Solange has been on some pro blackness since the beginning of her career, and she's made right. soul music. Mm-hmm. I remember that one music video. She was like. Had her afro and shit. This is back when I was in like high school. Mm-hmm. She's like dancing in a Kmart or something like that. Oh, Ooh, I wish I could remember. I seen. I think I seen a gif about that. Like yeah. I think I seen a gif. And with there's that. another one where she has her afro and she's just dancing and mm-hmm. it, like everything I've seen of her has been subtly pro-black. So it doesn't yeah. surprise me that she has this new overt message that's been coming right. out. Right. Because people um, have, people have said she was. And uh, you mentioned Beyonce's self-titled album, which I find interesting that mm-hmm. Lemonade is held as this like black feminist extraordinaire, and it is. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's amazing. Right. But the self-titled album too it, it shows you the double standards on sexuality right mm-hmm. when Beyonce came out with this overt sexualness mm-hmm. in relation to motherhood and marriage yes. and feminism it was definitely well received mm-hmm. but not nearly as much as Lemonade so what does it say about our society and sexuality well I think I think um, with that and this is and you know again um, Lane's staying in it um but um, I do feel walking I do feel like as someone you were walking on the night. I'm, 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 I'm walking on that little line over there. Shouts out to like, Zoe, I love you. <laughs> but um, but yeah, like I from what I see uh, and from what I've heard said, it just seems like uh, you know when a woman is uh, indeed you know when she is sexual mm-hmm. uh, when she expresses sexuality even if it is within the confines of the nuclear family mm-hmm. when it is uh, within the confines of a traditional marriage whatever right. that may mean um, because even traditional marriage being quote unquote between a man and a woman like for the longest time it couldn't even be like mm-hmm. if you were black like you couldn't even have that exactly. like exactly like, so well, and yeah but and that's a big part of it so and it's like yeah mm-hmm. I mean I, yeah I agree with all that. I'm not even gonna go deeper <laughs> because that you know I think I think when you read that, I don't know if you read that critique that Bell Hooks put out about Beyonce. She's actually critiqued Beyonce a few times. She did. um, And then Janet Mock responded. I'm not sure I read the response. I think that was like such a beautiful, on both sides, beautiful critique, beautiful wording, beautiful insight into black feminism and you know. And and it's different uh, sides, uh, at least. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's, 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 um, I feel like, you know, when you say black feminism, not you in particular, okay, but when people, like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> but like uh, when people say black feminism, uh, I think that they literally only 
think, oh, yeah, so the black feminists, TM, <laughs> trademark, yeah. uh, registered, think this. Like, that, they, mono, they, they turn them into a, turn black feminism into a monolith. Yes. Um, right. and, it, and it just doesn't, you know, take into account mm-hmm. all of the different intersections within yeah, definitely. black feminism. Definitely. Um, but, yeah, and I don't know, I think maybe we should go on that exit right now. Like, in case we, like, lest we start speaking over folks or something. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I agree. Yeah, and so um, the last question from that little barrage, I guess, was, uh, is it fair to call... (laughs) Is there any other question? You know what? You know what? There are about two. I have, like, such conflicting answers for that every day of the week and this is <laughs> this is fair. the fact that no one's politics are ever perfect or complete right. and i like read a different article or piece or mm-hmm. essay from like the 80s about that crap and it just depends on the day of the week i'm not i'm not, I'm not gonna answer that okay that's I, fair I, I was called a coon the other day because i am dating or no i'm not dating i'm talking to someone mm-hmm. who is non-black they're mm-hmm. latino mm-hmm and they're like, oh, you're a coon, you're not dating a black person. And I'm like, I am, Af- I- I am Afro-Latino. Like, this is, this is, the conflict of interest is on your end, not mine. My, right. part- my partner is my business in the first place, and Seriously. it's not a white person. <laughs> but I don't think I could do that. But you know, you know, yeah, but you know what, what I'm saying, is. right? That's why I don't go down right. that route, because any and everybody can be called a coon. And there right. are some some Uncle Toms out there that right, really absolutely. deserve the title of Ben Carson. And mm-hmm. Ooh, I think that... <laughs> the title of Ben Carson. You know, Let me and, take another seat. And, um, <laughs> so that's why I just don't go down that route. No next question. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. The guy fair was enough. listening to our interview. Yeah, he, he was. He I was, was definitely took off his headphones. And I, was, I, was, I was looking at him, too, but I'm also, like, looking around for that roach because, like, I don't see him and there's a lot of cracks and I don't know I how to network. All right, you know Let's what? I like that. Let's Maybe do that. Not worry about the Okay, fair enough. Um, all right, so uh, let's see. Okay, now, and this is this is like the weirdest way I could describe it. Like, um, is it's a bit hard to to like really word this, mm-hmm. um, but like you know, I feel like we have a lot of. I feel like maybe baggage. Uh, I don't mean this in a negative uh, connotation, mm-hmm. but I feel like there's a lot of baggage that comes, you know, with being a, an activist, mm. a queer activist, a black activist, an activist who cannot necessarily differentiate those two things from one right. another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you feel that there will ever be a time where you will have? like a sense of quote-unquote normalcy Mm. when it's quote-unquote over whatever (laughs) it quote-unquote is if indeed it has ever have a start and ending point like you know (laughs) yeah a lot of quotes and unquotes I mean what what is like this sounds cliche but what is normalcy right like oh you're right for some of us or all of us or whoever Mm -hmm. thinks this is part of them Mm -hmm. The activism is the normalcy. Mm -hmm. The living your life as a queer person dealing with homophobia in the black community and the Muslim community is the normalcy, quote-unquote, right? Mm -hmm. So first off, you got to define normalcy. On whose terms are you even defining normalcy? Mm. Um, And when you say when it's over, quote-unquote, right? (laughs) I don't know that it ever will be over, right? Consciousness Mm -hmm. is not an end goal. It is a journey, Mm-hmm. Every single day, my thoughts are being challenged, and I'm being pushed to think harder about concepts of race, of marriage, of history, right? So, 
Do I think that there will be a time when I have complete synthesis of the self, myself, the whole self? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know, and that's a question I ask myself all the time, sometimes sometimes mm-hmm. sadly, sometimes happily, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. That's a good question because <laughs> I think that if I wanted to right now in this mm-hmm. moment through the concept of compromising, mm-hmm. right? So not through compromising, through the concept of compromising. Okay. I could have a synthesis of self, right? Mm-hmm. Through denying, silencing, or erasing parts of myself to pacify agendas, to mm-hmm. soothe people's personalities, and to soothe people's comfortability. Sure, I could probably create some kind of, some kind of synthesis of self that resembles quote-unquote self, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm going to be, right? right? And, it's, and that's a choice people have to make, right? Like, define these quote-unquote self for yourself, mm-hmm. define normalcy, and then figure out where you sit on that spectrum, because it's not a binary, it's a spectrum, and, mm-hmm. not, you know, and right. that's how I don't think I have an answer for that, and I don't even know if I, if I even need an answer for that. Okay, that's fair. I don't know if that's the answer you were looking for. <laughs> well, I mean, well, that's the thing. That's the thing. Like, that's why I made sure. I made sure that you can even look at it written down. Like, I've got quotes on almost everything. I'm sure it's grammatically incorrect. Mm. Like, quote marks yeah, that I, are here. I, yeah, I mean, I've obviously yes. been asked that question before, and I've heard mm. other people answer the same question. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like, there's a friend of mine, um, Ariel. Mm-hmm. Ariel, I'm not gonna say her last name. I don't know. Okay. But uh, she's an activist, a poet. Mm. Um, queer black woman warrior, right? She's a warrior. Yeah. Um, she's a warrior, and <laughs> she always says when I enter a space, I enter in my full, curvy, black queer woman body. Mm-hmm. When I enter this space, I am Ariel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So then you take that, and I say, what does it mean for me to enter my space, any space at all intersections? Mm-hmm. And if I want to, you, you mentioned baggage. Yes. So if I want to see intersections as baggage, mm-hmm. there are some doors to mm-hmm. get into certain spaces where I have to drop off some of that baggage to fit in the door. Ooh, you take that metaphor and you, I love that. <laughs> and then there Paint are, a picture. Right. <laughs> and the only spaces where all of my baggage is allowed and all of my intersections are allowed are the spaces where we ourselves have created where the doors are wide open and you can fit all your intersections, Ooh. a.k.a. baggage, in there. Yes. So do I even want to enter places where I have to leave some of my baggage intersections mm-hmm. at the door? Right? So when you talk about the self mm-hmm. and baggage and intersections... That's where I'm at right now, right? Do I want to even go into places where I have to pack some of my bags in the other bags and leave some at the door and pay extra Mm. money because I'm getting on this plane flight into this place and only have enough money for certain baggage, right? Yes, no check, no check with baggage, not checking (laughs) it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And then which baggage gets to be allowed to be carry-on, which gets allowed to be under the seat, which do I have to check into the bag? <laughs> it's like the poet in me coming out, but right. at the end of the day, like this is the really important questions that I ask myself all the time. And Ooh, paint yeah. them pictures with no words. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm over. Here. Oh, there's a there's a piece that can be written with this. Like yes, no, I'm like in um. my head, I'm thinking of a poem as I speak right now. Oh, mm-hmm. like I like that. I really do like that. Um, 
Okay, see, I really like pants like that with shoes like that. I love that. It's very I cute. love that. Very I don't know. Outfit. I used right. to want to be a fashion designer, and when I realized mm-hmm. it was like filled with white gays, and no white gay formed against Michelle Prosper. Uh, and I say it again. <laughs> <laughs> say it again. Oh, that's funny. But yeah, no. I mean, like honestly, if you still like, if that's something you still want to do, don't ever put it on the back burner. Like, just be like, listen, I'm not doing it right now, mm-hmm. but I'll get to it. And when you yeah. do, it don't even have to be in quote unquote like in that field in that way. Like, <laughs> no, you yeah. do it as I definitely have like a sketchbook and ideas, but I that's way, way, way down the road. It's yeah. definitely not something that I'm fashion is. You know, yeah. it's like a personal thing, but I'm not trying to sell clothes anytime soon. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. You know I mean, yeah, I, mean. <laughs> I hear you. Um, but yeah, so I guess those are all the questions I had. Devin, this has been a lot of fun. Like, it really has been. I was, I was almost afraid. Like, I almost wore a button-up, a button-down shirt because oh, I didn't know. Because no. I didn't know, like, how it was going to be. I'm like, do I have to go in this as serious oh, age God. or can I be, like, myself? Uh, it was me. Oh. Nice. Was me. You know, it's funny, right? Like, you're the second person who said something along those lines today because I met someone, um, I, like, met with a student earlier this morning who needed help on an extra credit assignment. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I follow you on Twitter, and, like, I don't know, I thought you were going to be really mean because all you do is, like, talk about racism all day long. I'm like, God, why are we mean because we talk about racism? Like, right? <laughs> I swear I'm, like, a nice person, and 99% of the people you come, no. <laughs> like, 70% of the people you come across on Twitter are nice. Like, right, yeah. I oh, mean, that's so funny. You know what, I got... It's so funny. Like, Twitter is... Twitter is just funny. Um, and I feel like it itself is just, like, a big old party mm. that you just have to figure out <laughs> what table you're seated at. Yeah. You just got to figure out, like... Um, this, again, I told you, your lane, mm-hmm. my lane, I stay in yes. that shit. Mm-hmm. I try, right? Right. Oh, child. Hey, Someone needs to be oh, red. Already, like, one, two, three... This is like the smallest. This is such an Atlanta problem. Like, how are you gonna have four cars Mm -hmm. and like almost have a collision like that? This tiny little street. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no. Like, I, I don't don't approach me in like the suit and tie. (laughs) I at my wedding, I'm gonna be in like a a t-shirt and some jeans. Like, I'm not trying to. I I don't. Listen, I have. I still have a wedding ceremony though. <laughs> like it's been four years. Like we still trying to figure out. Like okay, so when's this wedding gonna be? Like mm. how is it? <laughs> Ooh, but hold on, that's for another day to talk about, <laughs> or at least off the record. So let yeah. me shut up. <laughs> you know, you know what's funny is, um, I do wedding photography mm-hmm. every once in a while. It's definitely a lot of work, and I just mm-hmm. it's not my thing. But you know, it pays the bills, okay. and I have never done a queer wedding. Never done an LGBT quote unquote oriented wedding, mm-hmm. and I am so I'm stunned because I want to like I want to anybody who wants to have a queer wedding I want to give them like fifty percent off on my prices I just because about, you know, just because that's like the only way I can help you know what I'm saying like you find yes. small ways you can help your community and that's like my way. Listen, like. <laughs> if you want to come to Los Angeles with me in about January, uh, my roommate. <laughs> My well, my old roommate um, in college, like he's having a wedding, and I mean, they pay for travel. I'll do it for free. Ooh. I put that on record. Me and if they pay for me and an assistant photographer travel and give us a place to stay, I'll do it for free. 
Oh, okay. You heard it here hear first, folks. <laughs> you hear this? You hear this internet? You hear this world? <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Contemporary. <laughs> y'all, y'all, y'all. I done said some stuff. I'm about to have to do it for you. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I would love to do that. You know what I'm saying? Especially here in Atlanta, right? Oh yeah, Especially. I'm sure. I'm really sure. You know what? Um, I'm really sure that there's a market here for it. Do you know Absolutely. what I want to do when I get married? And this is gonna sound so cheesy. Uh, you know what? I got the Ricardo. Let's go. Is but I had a dream about this the other day and I wrote it in my little dream journal um, okay. it's just an idea it will probably actually never happen but one of the things when we do and we protest and we like stop traffic mm-hmm. is we quote unquote hold space right you're holding mm-hmm. space symbolically like in front mm-hmm. of the police station or on a highway you're just you're holding it down you're holding space having that moment stopping right there mm-hmm. I want to hold space in an intersection and block off the intersection at a, during a protest and me and whoever I'm getting married to mm-hmm. get married, oh have our ceremony, like a real quick little two-minute <laughs> ceremony Ooh. during the process. <laughs> wow. I know that's so cheesy and like maybe, maybe it'll be during like a revolution in 10 to 40 years when, that, when I get married. <laughs> maybe it won't even be during a protest. It'll be during like an armed revolution or something. Like that's you even cooler, know. you know? That would be... That Inshallah. Would be. I'm over here like listen my my brain like whenever I hear something like that it goes into overdrive like I've got about 50 different scenarios I've just seen like and I'm being so serious <laughs> <laughs> like they're still going through uh, so I'm like I'm stuttering a little bit but so I, I see it happening like in about 50 different ways 50 different that's cities so Ooh, make yeah. it happen <laughs> let it this be this has been uh... This has been the Quiet Hour with Devin Springer, and, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that is our cue to go, folks. I'm always so weird at ending things. I yeah, know. I mean, I guess we could just press the button. <laughs> so let me shout something out real quick, real quick at the very end here, mm-hmm. in like an hour long interview, hour and twelve, hour and 12 minutes. <laughs> um, definitely, this person's parking on the wrong side. Oh, you're on the wrong side. Right. Boo, yeah, boo. Windows are down. Heard us. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, it's cool. That's great. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Um, buy my book, Grayish Black. Yeah. It is on Amazon. It is it. The first month it was out, it did really solid numbers. Um, I love it. I'm not doing it for sales. I make money off of it, but I make very minimal money. I just want that piece of myself to be out in the world. Just buy it because you yes. like me or because you want to like me or maybe because you hate me and you want to have better reasons to hate me and you're going to hate my writing. Either yes, way. Boo. Get that Beyonce <laughs> anti-protest money. Yes. Either way. You know, Grayish Black by Devin's. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's a very personal thing. And at first I was terrified to have it. And now I'm just like, ah, yes, just fucking get it. Uh, <laughs> if I did it for money, I would definitely... Right. Say that, but this uh, I make very very minimal money. Um, Fair enough. Get that. Um, I have a short film that I actually recently started creating that's going to be out in the next couple of months. My turtle. I can't face. really give too <laughs> right. I can't give too much detail, but it'll be out in the next couple of months. Um, as well as me and a friend, I maybe can't give too much detail, but might be starting a podcast. <laughs> It might be some, you know, weekly read type of situation, oh, yeah. some shade. I was just listening to that tea. this morning. I love, you know, I love that podcast, I, The I, Read. I'm going to tell you, like, because I know this has gone on for so long, so I'm just going to tell you this, like, after the, after the podcast. <laughs> okay. I, mean, I think they're local. I might be wrong, but. Uh, I, no, they're in New York. Oh, okay. Because um, okay. they were just complaining about the New that's, York rant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kid Fury was going on. That's so great. I love them so much. Shout yes. out to them. Um, so, yeah, buy the book. 
short film will be coming out. More detail, mm -hmm. t details will be coming to the Twitter. I can't give too much away right now, but I'm working with some really cool actors, um, local actors. Support support local yes, black talent, right? Please, yes. We got the national stars. Like, mm -hmm. pop up your own hood stars. Yes. See who's in your own damn hood. Not enough right there. Um, podcast might be popping in 2017, January 24th. I can't give more details. You didn't hear that from me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, so. I'm not that interested. Oh, and I, oh, I'm not going to give that detail away. Oh, just forgot. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> All right, so that's it. it. Um, so this has been... Uh, oh, oh, I will be traveling and speaking at Hamilton College in, in Syracuse, I think Syracuse, New York, on November 11th, giving a lecture about queer poets and artists in movement spaces of color. Yes. Um, November 11th at Hamilton College more info to come that's november 11th it's pub open to the public so it's a lecture hall come see me man let's talk i'll be leaving i'll be leading a creative writing workshop that day as well you know what um i mean i'll see if i'm free that day because i know <laughs> <laughs> but um all right so i guess just to end it um this is like i guess the first full length interview i've done so um y'all help me figure out what i need to say <laughs> to sign this off uh this has been contemporary queer um Goodbye. Bye, y'all. Bye. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Oh, okay. Country. Real Atlanta, Southern. Atlanta Twain. You know. Bye, y'all. Country Marxism. <laughs> Ooh. How do I turn End this the interview off? on me saying country Marxism? <laughs> Marx would be proud. That is.